in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talk by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Barry Grubb, Chris Kelly, and Ben Riddle on using digital GIS technology and satellite imagery to produce low-cost inventories of vegetation under and adjacent to power lines. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. Welcome, everybody. Uh, again, my name is Barry Grubb with Florida Power and Light, and really honored to present here with the team that kind of worked on this project. Just uh, to show of hands, how many people have uh, in the utility that have tree crews that have tablet and internet and disconnected service and a tree inventory? Couple. Well, we don't at Florida Power and Light, and that's kind of one of the reasons for this project. But we kind of move through and make up some time. But briefly on Florida Power and Light, 4.8 million customers, third largest utility. You know, our vegetation team supports this uh, regulated utility portion of NextEra Energy, uh, both the power delivery is distribution and transmission. They separated us back in 1991, but they just combined transmission and distribution recently. Uh, our vegetation team, especially our transmission specialists, also support uh, NextEra Energy Resources. And we have generation and transmission in 25 states as well as Canada. So they could take road trips every now and then to patrol. So certainly having some good tools to collect data, electronic data is uh, real key to that transmission side. We'll jump around in this presentation a little bit, but this is really kind of a new acronym internally for us, distribution satellite unit prescription. And we'll just jump back and forth. But this is kind of the result, the innovation that we're talking about. It's really using imagery to measure vegetation and buffer around power lines, using some low-cost imagery, as well as uh, some really good techniques that Ben Riddle helped solve the first time. So it's been a collaboration with a lot of experts, and uh, it's really nice to be part of this team. But you know, I don't. Everybody knows a little bit about GIS, but. A lot, of, a lot of different layers of imagery, but this is low cost, four band color. The near infrared is really good at identifying woody vegetation. And then with the, uh, the low resolution, they can do pretty good analysis to identify what's water, land, trees, and otherwise. And then with some ArcGIS tools, you can measure that canopy very well, uh, very accurately, and at a low cost. Uh, some other techniques that Ben will talk about will also uh, determine if it's accessible or inaccessible to a bucket truck. So it's just a way to use technology to measure work, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Certainly the benefits of this SUP, a lot of different benefits, uh, high level. You know, you get the imagery, turn it into work, and then you can dispatch it electronically to crews. 
I know a lot of us and our, our transmission team, we're still driving, patrolling roads and entering data in. And uh, this is just another way to do it. If you're working on a, a Word document, it's a whole lot easier sometimes to edit an existing document than it is to create a new one. And heading the veg layer in doesn't mean you have to, you don't have to go there, but you can uh, edit it pretty quick. Um, again, with transmission, our side uh, with the Clarion tool and a lot of work John Tamsberg did many years ago, they have a completely electronic work process from the prescription all the way through the execution of the crews and back to quality. So that's what we're trying to get for distribution. But we've always had a limit with uh, 40,000 miles of line and qualified planners to get a good prescription. And certainly our limiting factor was always the collecting electronically and converting it to paper just was a really inefficient transition. So um, I think we're getting closer to solving that. Some of these I hit them briefly, but you know, once you have the, the veg layer spatially, there's a lot of things you can do, whether it's work unit selection, outreach to customers, uh, communicate and last trim dates internally and externally. So having that veg layer has a lot of benefits and uh, we're, we haven't realized those yet, but we hope to move that way. Again, for us, uh, why, why are we investing? I think um, Florida Power and Light since the 0405 years has been doing a lot of capital investment. That's why I asked about the, uh, the facilities because we're hardening a lot of these facilities, uh, making the infrastructure stronger. And, uh, but for our distribution team, we've been lagging behind a little bit and didn't have technology, paper maps, ground patrols. So I think the company is investing in us now to get that mobile solution. And uh, you know, we, didn't ha we have a unit cost per mile, no work density, just uh, you know, negotiated rates based on historical costs, no tree density. Um, once you have tree density, then you can measure. I heard somebody mention, you know, how are we doing? You know, you can measure your density and see how you're doing sometimes, how often you go back. So anyway, certainly the SUP provides an opportunity to measure some work. How am I doing? Am I going fast enough? We'll make up some time. <laughs> Woo! I got time? Good. Let's keep going. I'm going to jump back to uh, 2008. I mean, uh, this is when we start, first started working with Chris and Clarion. And uh, the transmission team was very successful. You know, certainly a lot of bumps, a lot of learning curves. Tree trim foreman didn't have smartphones with touch screens in 2008. Uh, now our distribution guys do. Uh, a lot of, lot of network connectivity issues, security issues inside our firewall. But transmission's been successful. They've worked through all that on a smaller scale. They've been real successful in getting that Clarion software to work, measure their stuff, document it for NERC and FERC requirements, and it's been real good. On the distribution side, like I mentioned, the, the paper manifest didn't work. We were able to get some uh, palm inventory and we were managing those, what we call our critical palm layer that require recurring, recurring trimming. But uh, as we go forward, first purchase of imagery. I'm going to start in the middle and go backwards and forward again, but this is a milestone for us because uh, after Ben arrived, we were able to get imagery, but before that, I don't know if any of you knew an Esri uh, software presentation or an Esri conference. Anybody? Cool. They, uh, they got a lot of powerful stuff and a lot of great applications on what they're using. But I went to a release for uh, ArcGIS 10 and they showed like how they took an image, put it on the screen, they identified some hydrangea in a lake and then they replicated that process across the whole lake and gave me an exact measurement of how much hydrangea was in the lake in about 10 seconds. It's not that easy. <laughs> um, so anyway, that concept applies the same principles 
to vegetation where you can measure it once you have the, the, the right uh, spectral signature for your vegetation, uh, you can go forward with it. Oh, we went forward, sorry about that. But anyway, that, those steps of getting to the imagery and finally getting Ben and a qualified professional GIS technician that could do the analysis was, uh, was, was a big step. Once he'd done the analysis, and Ben will talk more about the steps to get to these linear feet and veg span measurements. You know, once you have the analysis, you have to get out in the field and ground truth it, field validate it, see what's going on. And uh, we had uh, a couple variables we were measuring, like was the linear feet measurement accurate? Were we accurate in determining if it was accessible or inaccessible? And where we classified it as open, was there truly no vegetation? So those were the, the variables or our measures of success. And um, this is the, uh, the sample data of the 4,000 so polygons that were generated through Ben's work. And uh, it's, it's a pretty, there's a great correlation uh, between the measurement in GIS and the measurement in uh, the field crews. We allowed for like a five foot buffer or air zone on each measurement. But ultimately that 94, 96% success rate was great. And we have, you know, obviously the outlier points, I have these here somewhere. Outlier points were really a great opportunity to learn. And this was one where the age of the imagery since it had been taken, we had, um, it was about 10 or 12 trees that had been removed since then, so they were gone. And we had, on the, on the open, our biggest error in the sample population was, one of our primary lines was misrepresented spatially. So where it showed in the middle of the street, it was actually on the side of the street and there was vegetation there. So just like uh, anything, there's limits and uh, gaps in our processes, but overall we are very, very happy with the uh, level of accuracy. So there are gaps, and I alluded to some of these, but um, it doesn't show tree wire clearance, okay? Uh, certainly if you have your last trim history, you can make some assumptions, but uh, you know, it'll get low growing right tree species as well as uh, uh, stuff that's deferred. So you, you certainly don't get that tree wire clearance, and uh, you know, it's not a measure of payment. I mean, we call it satellite unit prescription, but our intention anyway is to use it for budget forecasting, resource work selection, and just having the, that veg layer to update against. And um, you know, as far as how well it does, we're still on that learning curve to see how it does for budget grade estimates, but we're moving forward. 2014 was a busy year. <laughs> no hurricanes though. Um, this is uh, one slide that sums up the, uh, the kind of the key project activities or milestones that we went through. But um, certainly we engaged the team, uh, both uh, Clarion and Asplin and Lewis and uh, a lot of our internal stakeholders to kind of move forward with this. Uh, put some bids out, learned a lot about buying imagery, it's an interesting market. Uh, and certainly uh, sourcing for mobile solutions and we're lucky enough that uh, both Clarion and Patrick were engaged um, in this project and we worked with them to uh, write the requirements and ultimately we just did a, a, a beta test, if you want to call it at the end, where we did uh, 114 miles of planned maintenance using uh, imagery converted to a veg span layer, deployed in a mobile tablets, Microsoft Surface tablets to, uh, uh, we did two different general foremen, two different pods of crews. And uh, the short story is, uh, that's the blue boxes by the way. If you just don't want to read, just jump to the blue boxes. 
And uh, this, it was a success. I mean, the, the foreman adapted easily. They, uh, they, they really appreciated not having paper. They could see where their next span of work was. And uh, ultimately, even before the year was over, we were uh, rolling up lessons learned and applying it to additional funding for 2015. So where are we in 2015? I mean, our transmission is still doing ground patrols. They are supplemented with some uh, laser, or excuse me, LIDAR. But uh, the uh, LIDAR, we're really just, you know, breaking the ice on that. I know um, has so much more functionality just than just reporting uh, uh, POIs or points of interest or those, that, those trees that are encroaching in your trigger distance or clearance distances for transmission. And uh, on the distribution side, we actually have a layer for uh, Broward County for all of our feeder and lateral lines for all the circuits. And we're doing the analysis on that for, um, you know, budget forecasting for 2016, as well as uh, we're doing some field validation of that layer as well. Uh, so it's, uh, we're continuing to develop it and uh, working on some of the tools. So ongoing, but we, we want to continue to use this technology to uh, be more efficient. The uh, network draft, the schema here, is uh, a couple key points. You know, I think um, with transmission, they're still inside FPL's firewall. So all the foremen have uh, FPL network slids, have signed confidentiality agreements. They have to do cyber security training. They have two-factor tokens that they have to have with them to log into the network. There's syncing issues. There's a lot of those things that you have crossing that firewall uh, to get into our network. Uh, and actually, our, our upper management is very keen on that security. But, uh, you know, with this distribution uh, model, uh, we've actually just on Friday got an email note from our information security that our FPL-owned devices can connect to Clarion's web services. Chris was pretty happy about that. Me too. That was really good news. So uh, we're getting there. A couple other things, just everybody updating that network. You know, having that imagery layer and tying it to our asset management system uh, has a lot of benefits. All of our line crews, many of our contract crews have access to restoration spatial view too, so they can see vegetation facilities and we can add that veg layer to those other GIS applications and use it uh, within some of our other networks. Pretty powerful. We're not there yet, hopefully. So anyway, here's our, uh, here's our road, our road map, if you want to call it. Uh, hope we're in the middle. It, it might go beyond 2017, but uh, we've been jumping to the beginning, to the middle, the end. I think we're in the middle now. This capital investment, just to get, let you all know, but when you buy hardware and software, depending on your company's policy, but we're able to capitalize this. And then because we're buying a layer within the uh, Clarion software, a vegetation layer, just like you'd buy a road layer or a property layer, we're able to include that in our capitalization policy. So that's always nice when you can capitalize those expenses. And I'm not sure how every, FBL is like one of the top 10 capital spending companies since the uh, 07 recession, but just a ton on our power plants as well as our infrastructure to get ready for the next hurricane. But anyway, that's a little bit of our path, and I think I made up some time. And uh, I, I just want to say a couple words about Ben Riddle, because before that first purchase of imagery, I couldn't go anywhere. I mean, but Ben has the technical expertise, and he likes good craft beer, and he's been a great part of the team and couldn't have done it without him. So with that, Ben Riddle. Good afternoon. As he said, I'm Benjamin Riddle with Patrick Engineering. 
Um, at the time when this proof of concept was performed, I was actually a, a contract GIS analyst working for Florida Power and Light. Uh, since then, I've uh, began working under Patrick Engineering. We're a consulting engineering firm that work in, in many departments over many projects, everything from railroads and transportation, power delivery, and I'm on the geospatial software development team. So in 2013, as an entry-level GIS analyst, I think I've been working under Barry like a month. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, I heard about this uh, idea that we can use um, remote sensing to detect vegetation on overlines, overhead lines and, uh, and measure it. Do you think you can do that? And my mind just started going. And I just instantly said yes and figured that I would just figure it out along the way. <laughs> but. Uh, so I went back to my desk and knew that where we needed to start was with satellite sensors and how that works. So if you look on the right side of the slide here where you see the wavelengths, that small graph there. Uh, so there are eight bands in the electromagnetic spectrum. And what that means to us is that everything that we know of in this universe appears within eight bands visually within the electromagnetic spectrum. We as people see in red, blue, and green. Vegetation appears in near-infrared best, and that has to do with the way the red chlorophyll reflects during certain uh, areas of the spectral analysis. Um, so bear with me. If you haven't done GIS, this might all be new with you, but this is going to go into the technical side of that. So I knew that I needed to purchase four-band imagery. So what that means is I took the true color red, blue, green picture, because a picture in and of itself is not good enough. And then I also purchased a near-infrared layer, and I had to stack those on top of each other and use special software, which was Erdos Imagine, to create this analysis. Um, like like any any companies, you know, we had, any company we had to reach out to several different satellite vendors until we found one that worked for us. Now we had a few uh, criteria. It had to be cheaper than using lidar. It also had to be cheaper than manual patrols because the way this was originally designed was simply for budget forecasting and having tabular data in percentage of the amount of our overhead lines that were clear or not clear. So this is not a replacement of LIDAR. It's simply something that is cost effective with an acceptable margin of error. So after purchasing the, uh, the satellite imagery, which was through Digital Globe uh, and their sensor was GOI-1, uh, what you're seeing on the left side of the slide there is a section of that imagery. So on the left side, within that picture, on the right of it where it is all red, that is what the near-infrared imagery looks like. That is all the vegetation in near-infrared. And so what I did was what was called a supervised land classification. And the difference between a supervised and an unsupervised land classification is that with a supervised classification, I would tell the computer what it was seeing, or the software what it was seeing. And that basically what you do is you train the software and you draw an area, you draw several areas of the exact same thing, so maybe six areas over water. And then you tell the software that anything that falls within this field, within the spectral value, is water and it will classify that. Unsupervised means that the software just does it on its own and it finds like spectral values and just groups them on its own accord. I didn't like that idea. I wanted to do a supervised because in an industry like vegetation management, one palm tree can put out 3,000 customers. So I didn't like the idea of the software telling me what was there, but me telling the software. And so within that picture, what you're seeing on the left image 
is me using a swipe tool. And on the left side is what a classification looks like. And on the right side, like I said, is the true image. And the top right were the original classification categories that I designed for the software to pick out. So you, as you can see, there's water, forest and trees, suburban, urban. We ended up narrowing it down. Um, that was like our first go at it. So there's a lot of trial and error in this. So once I trained the software and we got it to where we wanted, I had to get that data out of Erdos Imagine and into ArcMap so that we could actually begin the analysis of everything we need to know. I couldn't just use uh, Erdos Imagine. So basically what I did was a transfer of data types. I did a raster to vector conversion. And that's what you're seeing in the top left image there. And that's the polygons of basically the tree canopy as it appears in, in ArcMap. And so once we did that, the tricky part, and this took a long time to figure out, was how do we measure it? Because in Florida Power and Light, they measure the amount of trimming on their overhead lines in linear feet. But as you can see, the polygons are not linear by nature. There's many vertices, many axes. You can't, you can't just measure in a straight line. The software doesn't know how to do that. So after a lot of different techniques, we decided to go with what you're seeing on the right, which is called a bounding rectangle. And that basically takes the polygon, wraps it in a rectangle, and measures for long y-axis across the line. And then we can tell it to give it to us in meters or in feet and whatever you want to see it as. And then there's a lot of very small uh, geoprocessing techniques to, to create a lesser margin of error. And an example on the bottom there with those two images, you can see on the left image how the rectangles overlap each other, on the right they're not. Well on the left, that's basically two tree polygons that are overlapping each other and that data can get double counted. But it doesn't seem like a big, you know, there it might only be a foot or two, but if you're talking about thousands and thousands of overhead line miles, that margin of error becomes ex exponentially larger and that skews the results. So you had to do a series of basically dissolving them together and rewrapping them and dissolving and rewrapping them and telling it to measure to clean up that data. Then once that was done and I was like, hey Barry, I did it, you know, we can, we can measure the line and we have this tabular data, he's like, good, well let's take it another step further. And um, so he was like, I want to know what is uh, accessible and inaccessible. And I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you know, know this difference here, but accessible is what is accessible by bucket truck and inaccessible is what is inaccessible by bucket truck, which means the crews might have to dismount and uh, use climbing or just or do it on foot. And so what we based that on was I grabbed a DOT feature class of, uh, of the roads basically there in Florida and created a buffer. So what you're seeing on the bottom of the left image there, that, that buffer of, of purple or pink, uh, is a, about a 60 foot buffer off the center line of the road and that's to account for the road, the curb, and how far the boom of the bucket truck is. So anything, any kind of vegetation that appears on the overhead line inside of that buffer is blue and on the overhead line outside of that buffer is red. So that's accessible and inaccessible vegetation. And then once again we had to basically wrap that back up in bounding rectangles and get the measurements for that. Well once we did that, we were like, we need a new way to measure this data if we're going to implement it in a mobile device. And so what we came up with was the idea of creating spans. Now, FPL at the time didn't have a feature class of spans. And what a span is, 
is the segment of line between two poles. They had a poles feature class and they had overhead lines, but they weren't combined to create spans. So that was a very difficult one to tackle and there's a lot of geoprocessing that goes into that, but quickly, well, I'll say is we basically, like the line and the, and the poles weren't lined up, so we had to figure out a way to get the poles to snap to the line. And then once we did that, we had to assign a unique identifier to each span because the spans, as the crews see it, they need to be able to find spans on their mobile tablets, be able to zoom to it, change the status of it as completed or open, or just be able to find it in general and, and within the tablet. So what you're seeing there in the tabular data on the bottom is the substation, which is MacArthur, the feeder number, which is a six-digit code that's formulated by FPL standard, the span ID, which is that six-digit code, and then the unique span identifier, which is the sixth span on that feeder, that's what you're seeing, 006. And then we needed to assign accessible feet, inaccessible feet, and open per span. So that's what you're seeing, is that there are 52 accessible feet of trimming on that span. And then all this can be rolled up to FPL's liking and how they like to use it on their business side, as well as keep track of the amount of feet that were trimmed, the amount of feet that were open, accessible, inaccessible. So it's all data that we were bringing in for the first time. So, after we tackle this, FPL goes, what's next? What else can we use this data for? And so this is where the custom uh, Patrick Engineering building came into play. So what you're seeing here is a dashboard and reporting interface that is custom that is based off of ArcMap web servers. This is not a satellite unit prescription, although it does rely on that data. And it's not clear on software who implements in a mobile platform. This is something else. And so as you can see in the image, Having a spatial value to your tabular data and reporting can be very powerful, especially when combined. And so on the left, what you're seeing are different programs that FPL has within their system on how they manage their vegetation. And then the window there, that window is linked to a live ArcMap server that's in a cloud and it updates regularly. And um, it's color-coded or classified, as you see on the right, by what appears, at least in this slide, to be their quarter to work based on that program. So visually, you can see what quarters are due, where they are in the city. Anyone can look at this, anyone can use it, be it business or work crews. And the bottom is the tabular reporting. And then you can go in, you can zoom in and click on one of those feeders, and it'll give you all the tabular reporting for it. You can roll it up any way you want. And uh, it's very easy to update and change once you have it implemented. And you can do this alternatively with many different programs. As you can see on the left and on the right, there's two different programs that are being used in terms of their vegetation management. And then a good way to compare visual representation of the data is that you're like, well, I have these two different programs and I want to see, well, okay, well, so the red on the left, those are obviously trees that uh, haven't been trimmed for a while, so they need to be trimmed and they're appearing as red, where green has been recently trimmed. And then you can compare that to another program, and you're like, well, well, these trees are falling in on the quarter, this quarter for our mid-cycle plan, so they're gonna get hit, we know that, and we don't, you know, we don't have to print off a map. And so you we're talking about efficiency for crews to be able to compare data and execute their work. And then I will introduce Chris Kelly, who implemented the satellite unit prescription through his mobile technology, Clarion Software. All right, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Barry. Uh, great to be with you guys. Um, we had the easy part in this, um, luckily. That was some pretty amazing 
application of a lot of tools and techniques on, on data. And um, I've been in the GIS field for 20 years. I've been doing uh, software, uh, GIS-based software for utility veg management since 2006. Uh, we started the company really to address this problem. And uh, I go to at least three ESRI conferences a year. I'm sure you guys are all very jealous of that statistic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've seen this presentation that Barry saw many times. And uh, this is the first time that we've seen it uh, actually implemented, certainly the first time we've been a part of um, the application of this technology to identify vegetation. So um, it's been an exciting one for us to see you know, how that impacts uh, the way that people use our, our work planning and work execution tools. Uh, so the, um, the question was, how do we get from this cool stuff uh, that Ben just described to, oh yeah, we actually have to cut these trees? So that was the gap that we were looking to fill and that Barry brought us in for. Um, so when you have this remote sense data, if, you, if you're doing, if you're creating any type of digital data, whether it comes from LIDAR or, or imagery analysis or uh, a work planner with a, with a tablet in the field, um, there, there's a question of how do we execute, so to print or not to print. But there was another component to this, which is that we had data that was basically coming from a computer. And we weren't going to trust that data uh, and just ship it right to the contract, to the, to the crew. So it created a new process or new workflow that needed to be solved. So that workflow was to basically take all of the results of Ben's work and make that the, really the start point for where we come in. So we, we bulk loaded all of that information, all of those uh, span, uh, vegetation span layers, uh, all those data points into, uh, into a tablet and uh, sent them out uh, for Arborist to field verify. So once you had work that you could confidently assign out to the crews, that's, that's where uh, the print or not to print question comes in again. And when we did this, uh, as Barry referenced back in 2008, uh, with a uh, more of a traditional prescriptive, you know, ground-based uh, arborist prescription, uh, the the decision was we print, um, and then the decision in the pilot this time, having um, gosh, seven years of experience and software and hardware advances, we decided not to print. I mean, put a tablet in the hands of the crews. Um, and then the crews would be in a position to complete that work digitally, report that work back automatically into the arborist for quality, and then have all that information roll back up into a single database that can be used for uh, reporting and analytics. So that was the workflow. And um, we had, um, we, we used uh, really three different software modules. So the idea is that the, the software, uh, it's not one piece of software. So, you know, your, your, your managers, your supervisors um, need more functionality than crews and maybe different functionality than the arborist doing the uh, verification of the work, the planning, and then the quality control. So there's a, there's a manager module, there's an arborist module, and a crew module all working together on this 
Esri platform. And that was one of the benefits of working with Patrick Engineering, who was doing this work in the Esri world, uh, in the Esri data format, that really folded into our, uh, our software um, natively, automatically. So what that looks like is, if you, if you look at this, this uh, collection of interconnected uh, pieces of software, um, if you start on the, about nine o'clock, you see the, the, uh, the, the VM leads who are um, you know, building and managing these work plans um, and, and, and using the management module for looking at things like budgeting and reporting. And then uh, the arborists are taking this information out onto a ruggedized tablet with a more full-featured data collection, data editing tool, and actually um, doing validation on the spans. Uh, and then one of the one of the really cool innovations with this is we we found in the in the pilot last year uh, that um, it was possible with this technology to actually give the the GFs, the general foremen that were running these crews. Um, the ability to, to do some of their own work allocation so that FPL didn't have to use their in-office tools to uh, parse out the work, that they could actually assign larger chunks of work out to a general foreman who could then uh, create small batches of work and, and in some cases really uh, break past the feeder boundary and say this is a group of work that makes sense for these guys to do in the next couple days and just in real time push that work out. And then the crews would receive that work digitally uh, and uh, always have work to do, not have to wait on paper maps to show up. And then everything they did was reported back to both their GF and to the uh, FPL arborist and their, and their consulting arborist uh, in real time. And again, because this is all built on this Esri platform, um, all this information is available through the web, but not just through Clearian's web tools, but through web tools that Patrick built as well. So that's the constellation of, uh, of the applications that we used. And just to drill down a little bit more about what that looks like, uh, the work manager application uh, is displayed here. Uh, you can see it's, it's got a map, but it's really more of a, of a tabular view of, of data about patrols, work orders, and individual work locations. And so this was what was used by the, uh, uh, by the, the, the regional leads uh, that, that run these, these regional programs within FPL. And again, because it's, it, even though it's, it's designed to be more of an office-based tool, it's really connected in near real time with the, with the field. So everything that's happening uh, in the field, as long as those field users can sync through a hotspot, a MiFi, you know, McDonald's parking lot, however you can get onto the internet, then that information is being passed back to, these, um, uh, to, to, the, uh, to the VM leads. Um, and so some of, the, some of the benefits that I just alluded to uh, were not just with the, with the management uh, awareness and the connectivity with the field, but also giving those kind of capabilities to the general foreman who were really managers in their own right. And so um, we were able to, to allow the, the, the GFs to group up this work and keep their crews um, supplied with plenty of work and to work more efficiently. Um, so the next piece of software is, um, is, the, is the mobile arborist app. 
and you can see that this is primarily a map-based application. The biggest window here is, is the map itself, and then kind of a traditional, if you've seen uh, traditional map-based software, you've got the list of layers down the left, you can turn things on and off, um, it's GPS enabled, but it's got all of the data there that you need to, to make decisions. So you've got roads, you've got your feeder configurations, but, but you also have the veg spans that came out of the, um, out of the analysis that Ben, that Ben described. And so uh, the arbors can go out and verify these uh, SUP spans, these, these vegetation layers that were identified through the satellite analysis. Um, you can re review and re approve. Uh, so you, you can do that and verify the spans, and you can also, on the back end, review completed spans or reject completed spans and send rework back to the contractors. Um, and then we're also able to load in other types of work like palm trims. As Barry mentioned, there was a many, many years of, of collecting palm data, uh, which is a very short cycle work for these guys down here uh, in the same system. So while they're out there, they could also verify their palms. And I think, what, were there 1.1 million? Uh, no, we don't have a million palms. No? Oh. We've got about 18,000 palms in inventory for recurring journey. Seems oh. Like Seems like a million. Okay. Wow, I was way off on that number. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so we're able to, to, to put, uh, as, as Ben mentioned in, in the web app, put all these other types of data like palms and, and, and as, as we're doing right now, uh, mid-cycles and other types of, uh, of work that, that are, do, are being done by the vegetation group. And then all of that gets uh, passed along to the crews in, in a much uh, simpler application. So you can see here we've got you know, six buttons on a crew app. Uh, so much, much simpler piece of software, um, runs on a lighter weight device. Um, we put these out on uh, devices with a rugged case that were you know, considerably less than $1,000 each. And the crews were able to receive these uh, assigned, validated work spans and they just show up on a map and they can uh, navigate to those work locations, they can see what's been assigned specifically to them, and then they can either mark it complete or note some sort of exception. And, um, and then this, this piece of software does have an optional embedded timesheet tool uh, that, that FPL is um, using in some cases and not using in other cases. Um, but that's the functionality uh, of the crew. So the crews are seeing this, and uh, I had the, um, uh, I had the opportunity to sit through a uh, through the the first crew training uh, with one of the GF groups, and I came into the the, the room as things were getting started, and um, I don't think that uh, anyone at the crew leader level um, uh, was was proficient in English. All the communication was done in Spanish. Uh, we we were able to get a lot of the buttons to to show up in Spanish, but. Um, the thing that I noticed was they sat down for the first time with these, uh, with these tablets and, um, you know, having been doing this for 10 years, I mean, kind of the mantra was, well, you know, maybe an arborist could do it, but I don't see how a crew can do it, you know, use, use software. Um, so five out of six of them reached in their pocket before they sat down and they took out these giant smartphones and they sat them down because they didn't want to sit on them and they proceeded to dive into the training uh, that was being translated by the GF. Um, and 
I think we'd allocated eight hours for the training and uh, about two hours in I was just walking around and I noticed that all these guys were were not following the instructor they were actually ex they had already gotten what the instructor was talking about and they were just clicking around the software and I think one of the questions was well what else does this do uh, so we, <laughs> we had spent I think three months going how can we make this simple you know take everything out just the basics and these guys two two hours into the training were saying what else does this do so they were exploring uh, the routing functions of the software that we hadn't even thought to train them on. And by lunch they said, can we go back to work now? We've got it. So I don't think that's going to be every, uh, you know, every crew foreman, but I think that that's an indication of the kind of adoption that's starting to happen, uh, especially when you have people that are, you know, coming to work who, you know, don't use technology at work, but they've got, uh, you know, a smartphone with a data plan. So this is really about giving those people the kind of tools they're used to using in the rest of their lives to, you know, find out where a movie's playing or, you know, where the nearest, uh, you know, place to grab a bite to eat is. Uh, so that was some of our experiences. And the last thing I'll leave you with is that, um, you know, I mentioned I go to a lot of uh, technology conferences. And uh, you know what we did was was very much in the you know in the utility vegetation management world, but um, we we did this in in a technology that um, is part of a broader uh, set of capabilities within the industry that we're seeing more and more utilities adopt. And in fact, um, most utilities now have pieces of this type of of uh, of, of uh, software, it's really a system, it's really, it's really a collaboration platform. You know, so the same way that um, we were connecting, you know, through this cloud, through this portal, we're connecting managers, planners, and crews, uh, through this technology, we're able to also connect executives, other people within the operations, like customer service reps, and, and even the regulators through these, these maps and these apps. So, What's really cool about what, what FPL implemented and, and, the, and the hoops that they had to jump through here to get uh, you know, approval to you know, have their devices talking to our servers and, uh, and, and to get you know, crews uh, trained up to use this is that you know, they really did this on the foundation of, uh, of, of, a, of a platform that can connect more and more people into that system. And, and, you know, this is a pattern that's being adopted really all over the industry and, and one of the frontiers that I think is that little piece coming in from the side there which is connecting this information with your customers. And that's not just a one-way capability, this is, there's two-way capabilities here where we might actually, what well, we know we can and the question is do we want to start to take, not just give data to our customers but receive information from our customers. So this is a pretty uh, exciting um, capability that, that we're looking towards in the future and I'm not saying that FPL is doing this, I'm just saying what they've built is that there's a platform uh, that gives you the, the possibility of collaborating not just uh, within stakeholder groups at your utility but even with the public. All right, I would like to thank uh, Barry, Chris and Ben for that presentation. This concludes Barry Grubb's talk on GIS technology and utility inventories.
To learn more about this topic, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the best management practices for tree inventories. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this talk, visit the ISA online store and select online CEU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.